Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Alchemy. To be an alchemist. To transform one thing into another. Tonight we have Paul Selig on the show, and the topic is Alchemy, the name of book two of a trilogy of Beyond the Known. Alchemy. Do you ever look at social media or mainstream media and see chaos going on? Or perhaps look at attributes of your own personal life that you'd like to change, you'd like to transform? Turn one thing into another. The notion of being an alchemist is perhaps as close as graduation as we might get in the physical form, where we've mastered the ability to to transform one thing into another. I think we're in for quite a conversation tonight. We can get right to it. Paul Selig, the author of Beyond the Known, Realization, is one of the foremost spiritual channels of the world. Alchemy is composed of pure, unedited words of the guides as they have been channeled through Paul. Their message is poignant and beautifully written humming with wisdom and insight for all those who are ready and willing to receive their words. Paul attended New York University and received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. Paul is one of the foremost contributors to the field of channeled literature working today. He offers channeled workshops internationally and serves on the faculty of the Esalen Institute. He lives in, I believe, Hawaii now, where he maintains a private practice as an intuitive and and conducts frequent live stream seminars. Join me in welcoming Paul to the show. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. You've been on the show quite a few times now. Um... I'm always glad to have you back. The uh, The book we're going to talk about tonight is Alchemy, which is book two of Beyond the Known Trilogy. How, how have you found the material as you write these books? Um, do you see an evolution of, of content as you write more and more books? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I don't write the books. I'm a channel, so I literally sit in a chair and take dictation. The books are spoken and recorded and in front of an audience, and then they're transcribed. So it's the unedited transcriptions that become the books. Um, But I'm seeing a very clear arc to the teaching at this point, and I'm, you know, surprised by it. It's not terribly comfortable for me, but I have to say that these guides have been quite consistent in their messaging um, since they began dictating the book to me in in 2009. So in some ways, the DNA for 
the journey they seem to be taking their students on was present in the first book and continues to be expounded upon, unpacked, and explained, and then sort of taught in vibration in ways that people can feel and experience as the, uh, as the teachings have continued in the, in the subsequent text. Right. Well, you talk about, um, um, I guess, the impact on you as, as you bring this material forth. A lot of times in the book it'll say, and we pause now for Paul, who's having, a, having trouble wrapping his noggin around this. <laughs> yeah. It's still true. It's always been true. You know, my biggest problem with channeling is that I'm the channel. And, um, you know, I have my name on the cover of these books that I didn't write. And even though I understand that it's a channel text, because I am a collaborator of a kind, I'm being used to bring this through, and, and there's a partnership there that I, I understand, I feel a level of accountability that I probably shouldn't for the, the quality of the dictation. And if I'm confused by something that they're saying, I question it. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, you you are the face of of the material. So so it seems like as you're channeling this, um you're you're really wanting to understand what they say and and it's quite evident that they're presenting um material that is so out of context for the rank-and-file thinking, if you will, of humanity. Um, how, do you, how do you see this material progressing over time? Well, they're finishing the, the, the third book of the current trilogy now. They're about halfway through. They've been dictating this one since, you know, the, the, the latter part of June. So I understand where they're going now, and I'm continuing to be challenged by, by what they're saying. I mean, they're talking about the kingdom and the realization of the inherent divine in all matter, in the world that we see. And they talk about how this is done, how this is claimed by us as we align to what they say is our true nature. And it's a teaching of alchemy. It's a teaching of, of really transposition. They've been saying for books that everything is operating in vibration and any song can be sung in a higher octave. And what they're doing with their students is bringing their students to a higher level of resonance. They call it the upper room. Right. The octave above. And from the octave above, they say you can lift what expresses in the lower vibrational field by nature of your presence. In some ways, you become a portal to what they call the upper room through the field that you align to. And so I understand this. So this is what they're teaching now is the being of this at that level. And I'm sort of just trying to keep up with the dictation. Honestly, they've done 19 lectures so far for the next book, and I haven't read one of them. <laughs> they've done more than 19. 19 have been transcribed. Right. And I paste them into a file, and I go check with, with, you know, what they say is chapter one, two, three, and four. 
but I, I don't want to read it yet because I can't wrap my brain around it. Right. It's like break off the rear view mirror. I don't want to look. I understand what you say because, I mean, you're more or less the face of the material regardless. I mean, it's your name on the book. And yet the the material is uh, so profoundly different than um, what traditional thought or philosophy might have us think of. So um, I, I really applaud you for, um, I would call it bold and some courageousness in there to to bring forth this material and uh, and put your name on it. And, and here you are creating yet another book with yet a whole new arena of perspective and material. Um, have you gotten more comfortable in this role over time? I suppose I have. I, you know, I was an academic for 25 years, and I left that career, that life, about five years ago now. And um, I've adjusted to this being what I do, and I've learned finally to think of this as my job, like I show up for my work. Right. Do the take the dictation. I'm very clear on what I'm not. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I don't have aspirations to be one. I really don't. I'm certainly not a guru. I'm a guy with this very odd skill set that is doing his best to show up in some integrity for this work that I may never really understand. You know, I mean, the the, the woman who channeled um, A Course in Miracles, Helen Schiffman, I haven't read the course, but I know this quote from her, and I heartily understand it and agree with it. She said about her work as a channel, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. <laughs> and that's often how I find myself. I can't fault the teachings that come through. They're consistent. They, con they don't contradict, as far as I can tell, and now nine books, because they're on the ninth now, and I know that people are being helped in, in, in real ways by this stuff. So I show up. I'm more comfortable saying, I don't know, publicly. I'm not interested in having people project their own issues onto me or my role or what I do. I don't think of myself as special. I don't think this makes me special. I think it's something I seem to have facility for for whatever reasons, and that this is past life or who knows what it is. But it's what happens through me. So I'm having a funny experience now. You know, I was in um, Costa Rica channeling at a, at a retreat in March when New York City, where I live, was shut down, and I never went home. Right. And, you know, the guys have been saying things for years like, you know, you can leave this class and never go home again. You don't have to. You just think you do. <laughs> and now I'm on Maui. Right. A friend found me a place to stay thinking I may never go home. I've been living out of one suitcase for the past four months with my laptop. And I'm finding contentment, strangely. But I also am finding that the idea of community around this kind of work is deeply beneficial and meaningful. And that doesn't mean community around what I do as a channel, but community in general, people that are doing their best 
to sort of live a life in agreement to, I don't want to say shared values because it sounds corny and it also sounds exclusive. People who are doing the best they can sure. with the information they've been given, that's going a very long way for me. And that's actually resolving, I think, some of the conflict that I've had around what it is I do. You know, I, I've seen videotape of me channeling and um you know i look quite nuts doing it and i know that and i've had to say well that's just the way it looks and this is what it is and i can accept it even if other people can't well and maybe in a in a odd sort of way you're you're kind of off the hook in the sense that that actual material is um, is not your philosophy. And now, like you were mentioning, you don't want to be tagged as a spiritual leader or some kind of a guru. And, and yet you're the vehicle of very, um, quote, spiritual, unquote, material. And, and the, the content of the material is, um, quite, um, appropriate for um, the notion of a guru's teaching, but you get to take a step to the side and say, but it's not me. So, I mean, I'm just making an observation here. You know, the... the I mean, if you say that the channeling isn't real and that it must be me, then that would mean me getting off the hook. But in fact, I, I consider myself to be a radio Sure. As a psychic is comparable to what I do as a channel, and I hear I'm primarily their audience. Sure. So it's kind of like the radio isn't the transmission, but you experience the transmission through the radio, and I happen to be the radio that this transmission is coming through. That's well, try to keep. It. And another thing I found curious is you're talking about living out of a suitcase for months on end, and in the book they talk about surrendering your past so to speak, and and you're you're finding yourself going through the the steps of it perhaps unexpectedly. Um, I found that curious as well. Well, I don't recall that in the book. You know, I, rec I recall about a third of the content of the books from when I channeled them. Like I sort of remember the gist or the larger gesture at times of a chapter or a dictation. Um, I don't read the whole book until I'm proofreading it. And this one, I happened to do the audio book here on Maui a few months ago and sat in a studio and read it aloud. And, and I got to hear the book as the others have heard it, delivered and experienced its coherence. And I'm grateful for that. Um, they talk in the book about not being able, not being shown the path before you until you take the next step and to learn to trust being in the unknown. And, you know, this book was channeled last year. It was finished, completed over three or four months. I think it wound up the dictation sessions in June. And, you know, they were, they were very much speaking to the times that we're in now and learning how to understand and navigate these strange times. And yeah, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'll be back in New York next week, if I'll be here. You know, I, I don't know much. 
right now. And I'm finding that to be somewhat a relief. You know, my, my monkey mind gets to, to soften and be quiet in these times. Right. So, yeah, I am living the teaching, I guess, now that you mention it. Well, yeah. Well, the, the notion I get, um, and I think this book reflects it, is... I mean, just to to philosophize, the soul doesn't have a need for a linear path, and the ego loves something linear that it can kind of understand and cling to. And so the, the more you make your expectation empty, the more lucid and fluid the, um, or perhaps the broader... Um, span of options opens up the more you let go you got it you know I mean you said it very well and I'm not somebody traditionally who's comfortable with not knowing right you know, I'm a worrier. my worry is all about possible futures and possible outcomes and you know when that's not present I'm a, quite a happy man I have to say when I'm able to do that. I think some of what I've learned in the last few months is, is how to just be there because I don't have the other information. You know, I don't know what's on the other side of, of where I sit right now. Many of us don't, I think. And perhaps that's the opportunity of these times. You know, we don't get to know in the ways that we've had and perhaps something else then can be, can be shown to us or revealed. Well... The it, it's like standing on the shore and putting your foot in the water looking for a rock to stand on and you can't see the rock and and to trust it's really an exercise in trust that the the consciousness or the perspective or the I guess the ego might like the word strategy of the upper room of ourselves having our back so to speak and you know the first few times you go to let go of uh, a rigid view of your future there can be so much that's unknown that most people just pull back and stay in the um, uh, confined expectation of what they would prefer I've heard the guys say almost those words. So, yeah, we're on the same page. Well, now, do you do you see uh, uh, this material wrapping up, or is there going to be so many books that? I mean, it it seems like you've been you've been doing this more than a decade now, right? The first book was channeled was dictated in 2009 and was published in 2010 and um, they're on their ninth book now so there have been yeah a lot of books in the past almost 20 years and I would like if it's possible after this book a little bit of a break I wouldn't <laughs> mind writing my own book maybe right like my, my story of, of how this happened and I would be writing that more for myself to try to understand it a bit. 
and then I'm okay. I've heard from the guys that there are more books. Um, I don't know. Every time they finish a book, I think there's nothing else for them to say. I think that they've done it. Right. And I find that that's not the case. So I go, okay, here we go again. And, and consequently, it's always a bit of a challenge. When I was touring all the time, um, which was all the time, I mean, I was on the road half the month doing workshops, the guides would, you know, the books were done in those workshops, but also once a book was completed, they'd start beginning to teach for the next book and preparing the next teaching. And so by the time they would usually start to dictate the book, I was familiar with a few of the new concepts, not enough to get me past an understanding of, say, the first or second chapter, but how they're working now, which is different because I'm not on the road all the time. I'm doing things on live streams, seminars, you know, online, and, and, you know, they've become very popular, may be different, you know. I assume that as long as I'm willing to sit in the chair and take the dictation, they'll probably be willing to deliver books. Um, Hopefully they have something more and more valuable to say. I don't see them wanting to talk just for the sake of filling pages. Right. They have a much higher agenda. So at that level, I'm happy to be in service. I just wouldn't mind a little break. Sure. You know, from, from the books, because the books are, the books are challenging for me to bring through physically and um, emotionally. You know, when I was doing, I'm doing them in front of a live audience. The guides would say at the end of a lecture, this is in the text, or this is the introduction to the next text, or the title of the text is, and this was the first installment. So I would hear at the end of a lecture, which always sort of made me relax because it allowed me just to channel. And right now, um, I've had to convene a small group of students, um, some of whom have been there for prior dictation. And um, the guides are, we're meeting, you know, five times a week or four times a week in session, and the guides are delivering the text to them. And so far, it's all been for the book, and they're also doing book delivery in my regular Wednesday night live streams and these five-day seminars. So they're just talking away. And um, I find it stressful because the rule with the books has always been I don't get to go back and change things. Right. Like if I disagree with something, I can't cut it out of the book. Right. We had a gap in the recording, like a three-second gap, where we lost two words and I had to reconstruct it. And I'm sort of so careful about this that my my hunch is that in the published version, there will be a, a footnote saying reconstructed from right. gap and tape, you know, because I, I don't feel that if I get to go in and mess with it, it's authentically a channel text. It's either the guide's book or it's not. And now I've been strict about that for some reason. I mean, occasionally I'll mispronounce a word or the recording will be inaudible and we'll have to reconstruct something, but it's so rare. Like there may be three words in the entire last book, the one that, the alchemy that you have, that were misspoken. Um, and it's usually a word that I just didn't know. You know, that, that happened in alchemy too. There was a word that they kept saying, and I wouldn't repeat it because I didn't know what the word was, and I thought it wasn't a word. And the guy would say, Paul's refusing to say the word. And it was a great word. After the, the dictation, I said the word was penumbra. I didn't know what it was. 
Right. Full class looked up penumbra, and it was it's a beautiful. It was the perfect word. It could have been the title of a chapter, for all I know, which was the light that appears from behind the clouds. It was the perfect metaphor, the perfect word. It's just a word that I have not once used in a sentence in my adult life before then, so I couldn't say it, you know. Um, They found ways to get around that. They'll use a sound-alike once in a while, but I'll have to just say what it sounds like, and then we can find it. Um, Anyway, that's that. Well, the... Um, your your diligence in keeping it articulately accurate is um, very refreshing. Like, you know, in all the social upheaval and whatnot, the the notion of the Constitution has come up in some cir- in some circles, and the the curious thing is, <laughs> or perhaps. Um, um, the Bible or something like that. And when somebody steps up and says, well, I'm going to present a better idea than the Constitution or or something like that, my, I, I just cringe in the notion that um, the context of which the Constitution was written in is incomprehensible by us today. And to, to just casually tweak... The language, so I'm applauding you for your diligence in making sure that the language of what is coming through it has impeccable integrity through your diligence. Thank you, but that's my job. You see, I'm really, I mean, you know, I'm a glorified stenographer <laughs> for the guy. That's really what I am. That's you know, this, you don't even notice the court stenographer in the room. She's doing her job well, or he's doing his job well, and it's the transcript that lives on. And that's my feeling about this. The very first book, I Am the Word, the guides use the male pronoun exclusively in the book. He who decides, or one day he will know, or man will know. And Victoria Nelson, who's an academic, who was on the phone for those dictations. She was taking notes. I was recording and then later transcribing the recordings. She complained to the guides about their use of the male pronoun. And the guides were oddly somewhat defensive. I, I thought they were saying we're speaking of, man, of humanity, humankind, not man. They weren't speaking about gender. But since then, I have to say, they've been the next book was so nuts because they switched pronouns and genders in a sentence. It drove the copy editor crazy, you know. When he <laughs> decides that she will no longer, they just had a field day with it. And now, oddly, they've almost settled. Well, interestingly enough, because so much of this stuff was done in live workshops where the audience might have been 80% female, right. 70%, 80%. The guys would often just use the female pronoun exclusively, and I was surprised by that, too. So you read the book, and there's a whole bunch of she's, but I've learned that that's not what they're talking about. Right. They really aren't particular. They say it's not about even the idea of the divine masculine, divine feminine. That, you know, it's just it's another way to sort of understand ideas and archetypes. Finally, they say what we're having to do now collectively is moved from the idea of the singular to the plural, you know, the I to the we. 
and the small self, I, to the divine self who's already knowing itself as of the whole. And that's a huge transition to make in consciousness. I think that some of the bumps that we're seeing now are ways of sort of trying to, to understand ourselves and our history and the challenges that we still live with as a result of them. I mean, so much of the times we stand in, I suspect, are about re-seeing, you know, what we've known. The guide said in the first book, and I've said it probably in every book since then, that humanity is at a time of reckoning, and then a reckoning is the facing of the self and all of one's creation, which means we get to look at stuff, even when we don't want to, and often when we most don't want to. Right. Uh, well, speaking of speaking of the times, um, what have the guides said about the times we're going through now? Well, you know, they start. They've been speaking about this since before the last presidential election. In the Book of Truth, they started talking very specifically. I think it's even in the book prior about the collapse of, you know. Of, of, of governmental traditions and structures and economic systems and structures. And this has been coming, you know. In the Book of Truth, they said that everything that's been buried is going, going to come to the surface. And it's coming to the surface not so it can be blamed or shamed or, or called out, but so that it can be reseen, because nothing is healed until it's seen. And the opportunity of this excavation is to bring things to the light. That's the whole point of it. If we understand that, perhaps we'd be a little kinder in this process. But they say, you know, if you have a body buried in the basement, one day it's going to stink up the whole house. And so everybody's basement is getting excavated. The country's is, the world's is. That's what I see. And so they said in a, um, in a teaching today, um, they said in a teaching today, that this is really just the beginning. You know, we're, what we're seeing right now is the beginning of an ongoing process of change. Um, and uh, and that I trust. Right. Well, yeah, I, I can, the, the way I uh, view a lot of this is the reintegration of what has separated us. And right. the... I mean, you don't have to look very far back in our human history to see just so much pain and suffering on many multiple arenas. And to to drag the body, to use the metaphor of the body in the basement, to drag the body out of the basement and see it for what it is, is the only way we can reintegrate back to wholeness, if you will, it seems like the perspective of the upper room of consciousness views the the paradigm or the narrative that any culture, any page in the book of human mythology um, sees it without um, judgment of it. It kind it kind of reminds me of. Uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna is in the chariot with with the the guy, and he's like, 
they're they're he's looking at his uncle and his his kinfolk and Lord Krishna is like thrust in your sickle. I don't know what the exact words are. Let's have this battle and you can claim your glory. And there's a, such a lack of judgment from that upper room of anything that's happened in our past. But our 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 little selves, our egos, I think, are going to want to go out in the street and vomit when some of the darker side of humanity comes forth to be reintegrated. I think so. You know, I mean, I don't disagree. I don't know that it has to be that hard. I expect it will. Um, when I was doing the dictation for this book, it was actually it's the hardest dictation I've ever had to do. None of it is, uh, is alchemy. You know, I was feeling kind of good about everything. And then um, I was channeling at the Esalen Institute. And I thought that they would begin the book there, and they didn't. And I thought they would, and I thought, well, maybe they're not going to do a book here, because it's a good opportunity for them, because there's one group of students over many days. And then after the third day there, I woke up to the news of the suicide of a, a dear friend of mine from my academic life. And I walked into the classroom in a daze, and I sat down, and the guys began delivering the book that day. And I found that what was going on for those months, and really into, say, January, um, was all of my stuff was coming up. I mean, shockingly so. I've never been through anything like it. I really haven't. Um, and when I read the book, I can't tell that was happening. But what it was for me was an excavation. And I'm not saying it's over. But I do feel like I am becoming myself in a very different way than I thought I might ever as a result of this experience. So I know what I think they're teaching, and I understand it primarily on a personal level, but they are speaking to the collective, how we've all invested in this idea of separation that they say is, is the biggest problem we have. In the book, the guys say again and again and again, you know, the only real problem we're facing is what they call the denial of the divine and how that shows itself, which is primarily in the belief in separation. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, the um, in, in alchemy, the, some of their language, Jean was talking about, um, uh, I, I'm... Uh, to look at the world outside of you and to see it as some kind of separation. Um, it's almost like we have to heal our uh, relationship with the the physical um, holodeck or platform or this notion of, of the material world that we live in um, they're really talking about seeing the divinity of all that is, and in our in our Western culture, we're so quick to slap a label on it and then slap some some associated value to it, and it seems like they're trying to break up that that habit or or preference. 
I, I think they are. You know, I'm a product of, of Western thought. It's how I was reared. I was reared without religion, but I certainly was reared with, you know, the values that one is instilled with when one is of my generation and, you know, what success was supposed to be and what it means to be a man or a woman or valued in society and and all of that stuff, I think, gets to change um, and gets to be rethemed. I'm learning in my own way another experience of being through this stuff. And it is about, in some ways, unlearning or un, maybe forgetting is a better word, the mandates or the requirements that I inherited um, because I can choose to align to those things or not. But the guides are very much speaking to the collective now. You know, that's what the whole book is. They say, you know, it's not just so much that you create your own reality. It's also you're, you're operating in tandem with the collective and collective agreements, including the collective agreement to or belief in separation. And the upper room, they say, is where that gets, I don't want to use the word corrected, but perhaps re-seen or re-known or, 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 or re-articulated, which is the word that they like. Right. Well, the to, to descend, so to speak, to use the metaphor of the upper room and, shall we say, the lower room, in the lower room, which is perhaps traditional human experience on Earth for the last eons of time, in in order to um, ascend our consciousness or transcend our suffering, if you will, it it's gonna um, like Einstein said, we can't solve the problems with the same thinking that created them. We have to evolve ourselves, and 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 the material that you've channeled over these books certainly is an evolution of perspective of of a higher truth that we all have an opportunity to recognize and then um ascend into so to speak into that upper room of each one of ourselves it i find it very uh, um fascinating that um, with your material and, and others that are coming forth, it's really a transcendence of all of our mythology. It's, it's almost like um, there's a whole new realm of, I don't know what to call it, physics, a whole new realm of perception, a whole new realm of relationship with, quote, reality, unquote, and and the the material that you've brought forth um, really kind of affirms that idea. How do you see, do you have glimpses of how this material will change the dynamics of humanity? No. I mean, the guys have said that the material will live on, you know, beyond my lifetime. Um, they've been clear about that, and I'm good with that. That means hopefully there's some merit here. Um, I know what they're teaching. I don't know and hope they're not the only teachers, you know, bringing through the idea of this level of, of alignment. Because they are teaching alignment. They said, I was lecturing today on a new book. 
And, you know, they, they said very clearly that humanity as, a, humanity as a whole has decided to progress, that it will happen, that this decision was made in what they call the upper room at the level of, of, of consciousness, the high level of consciousness that we're seeking to evolve into. That part of us, they say, is already present and is already expressing in what they would say is the higher strata. Um, it's already there, and now we have to grapple with the ramifications of that choice, which really does seem to mean that we're going to have to look at our junk, yeah. you know, and deal with some of our stuff. And I find that incredibly hopeful. What they start to say today, and I've not really heard this before this way, so I was surprised by the teaching and was questioning it. They said, you know, the scaffolding to the upper room has been taken down. It is now a firmament that you can stand on and remain. That, you know, the part of others, that there's enough of you who've made this level of alignment that it can be claimed. It can be present for those who are willing to go there. And, you know, my experience and the experience of others who are working with this stuff is we have this experience of that level of consciousness where there is no fear and it's quite wonderful. They call it the upper room. And we come crashing down the moment something happens that's disturbing or provocative or challenging. And they're saying, you know, that's now just the, the residual idea of the small cell still reenacting what it's known, that the transition has actually happened that the upper room or this level of awareness is present for us. And again, I find that very hopeful. But when they speak of humanity going through this transition, I mean, I've heard from them over the years, and it's in the book, that we have a choice. Do we want to go forward? And I hear, well, we've said, yes, we will. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a graceful experience. <laughs> I don't know how it necessarily can be. Right. Well, I mean... The title, the title, alchemy, the the notion of introducing alchemy to the the human persona, if you will, the if I look at archetypes and I look at the rank and file of humanity over time, alchemy is not on the top of the list in everyday human demeanor over the past centuries. And if if people that are attracted to your material and read this material and choose to make the journey into the upper room, if you will, and live life from there and experience a sense of alchemy, then it kind of um, it dissolves any binding to our our past mythology or narrative and it's going to take um, it makes sense to me that in order to anchor this new material this new understanding if you will um, for for human beings to to master the art of alchemy and, and that's pretty much what this material seems to be addressing well they say we have the capacity for it we, we do you know, we've denied it, but we can be done, you know. And they also say this really isn't a new teaching. It's a very old teaching, and it's available now, and they're saying in a complete form. 
that they're really not leaving out the steps. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I think this all really depends on what people's experience is of the teaching. Um, I like the way you describe it. I know it's what they intend. Um, I suppose it's all about application at a certain point, and application in the case of these teachings is very much about alignment, and the alignment comes through these energetic attunements that the guides offer that help them explain the truth. You know, and they've said for most, probably almost all the books, they've talked about being in accord, and they say A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D is on a piano. And I didn't understand that teaching until I, the last book, I think, and they really unpacked it. And a lot of the claims of truth, or each of them, is they say as if a note played upon a piano. And as all of those notes or those attunements are realized or played at once in the energetic field, you have the resurrected self. You have the divine expression of what they call the monad or the Christ, the manifestation. That part of you that knows who it is, what it is, and how it serves its seeks expression as in through you. And that finally, I suppose, is the teaching. That's really the teaching. It's the alignment to that level of consciousness. And, and you know, I, as I said, I, people have to have their own experience with this in a lot of ways. Like I said, I'm a stenographer. Well, the, the notion of alchemy, um, um, so much of human suffering is this notion of lack and the ego wanting to have a sense of security. And so it either projects a sense of power for that security not a graceful sense of power but a dominant sense of power uh, or hoarding or I mean the notion of lack is is perhaps one of the stronger motivations of less than graceful behavior of human beings on the planet and you bring in the notion of alchemy so now a human persona through alchemy can can morph or transcend any condition of the moment in the moment. And then that changes everything. I mean, the, to, to be anchored in the truth of being able to transform um, the condition in the moment, then all forms of suffering fall to the wayside if, if we have the ability to, through alchemy, transcend any condition of the moment, I can see that as as really being a game changer. I can too. I hope it's the case. You know, the, well, the guys are pretty consistent. I don't think that they make things up. So, yeah. well, you can't. From my perspective, you can't put out this much material and be talking out your ass. You just can't. I mean, the continuity of of the material, from my perspective, seems spot on. And th that's why I was kind of curious asking you about the span of what you see coming down the road. And when you talk about them having multiple more books in the queue, it... It just makes me think how far in the darkness have we found ourselves to have such a journey to come out of it. It is a journey. 
I think that what the guys have said about the number of books is that, you know, they're, it's as if they're sort of taking us into the water as we can acclimate to the water. You know, you, you can go up into your ankles and then up to your knees. Or if you want to use another metaphor, you know, darkness entering, brightness entering a dark room. You don't want to go blind by being thrust in too quickly. So they bring us to the level that we can hold or move into a chord too. I don't know what the books are after this. You know, I wish they would write some self-help books. I think, you know, that would be nice for me. <laughs> I had lots of questions about self-help. I don't think they could care less about some of the stuff that I do. <laughs> you know, how to get a date, you know, how right. to lose the 50 pounds. All the things, you know, I mean, they, I'm sure they can, but they're operating with a curriculum and their teachers. Right. And the curriculum that they're offering is pretty much specific. I mean, you said, you know, the one thing, you know, when I used to go through periods of questioning this, you know, could this be real? Could You know, how is this happening? The one thing that I've been able to rest comfortably in is the fact that, you know, I don't care how articulate I, I may be. I'm just not capable of sitting in a chair with my eyes closed and dictating nine books that require no editing. You know, it's just not possible. Right. And I, I do trust the integrity of the expression and the intent behind it. They're not teaching fear. They're not being manipulative. They don't take away our free will at all. In fact, they speak to it very directly. And again, like I said, I hope people are supported by this. I hope the book is doing or the books are doing what the guides intended them to do. And for all I know, for what I hear, they, they seem quite happy about how this is going. You know, this part of my life is in their hands. I'll show up for the interview, I'll show up for the dictation, but finally it's their books, and I think how readers find their books is, is actually something that they play a part in, too. So I leave that alone. Well, now, some of the people that um, either read the books or perhaps attend the the gatherings that you have uh, talk about having a, a profound energetic experience. Um, what would you say to that? Well, the books themselves are energetic transmissions that work directly on the reader. Um, the guides said that in the first book. They said it, I think, in every book. The books are experienced more so than read. It's less of an intellectual teaching than an experiential one. When I Am the Word was published in 2010, there was no press to speak of. No, no, you know, nobody knew who I was. Um, and people started finding this book, and the reviews started coming out, and people were saying things like, I'm reading this book and my body is vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. And so the energetic component's always been present. In the live workshops, when people are working with the attunement, say, in partners or in small groups, the energy is extremely palpable. There's sort of no way to avoid it. Even people who've had no experience with that kind of phenomena have opened up to it. And I like that because it allows people to be in their knowing. You know, they're not deferring to me or even deferring to the guides. They're, they're claiming their own experience of this in a way that they can know. And the guides say again and again to know is to realize. So, yeah, it's a part of how this whole thing seems to happen and continues to because, you know, 
we're the music, they say, that is being transposed to be played anew, to be played in the higher octave of what they call the upper room. Right. Well, um, not to put you on the spot or anything, but do they have anything to say to you and me in this moment? I'll, I'll ask. I channeled already today for the new book, so let me see if they want to. I hear we would like to say a few things. It's not what Paul wants to hear. Not what Paul wants to hear, but perhaps this gentleman might like it. But perhaps this gentleman might like it, the idea of who you are. The idea of who you are, finally, the idea of who you are, something we don't, is what is being renowned, the sense of something that's new, the sense of self you have become accustomed to, utilized in commerce, utilized in commerce, negotiated lives with negotiated your lives with that is what's being renowned. That is what is being renowned. You are becoming uncloaked. You are becoming uncloaked, unmasked, unmasked, reseen if you wish. Reseed if you wish, as you are beyond the small self sense, as you are beyond the small self sense of identity of identity from Katsu that you have grown to accustomed to humanity itself. Humanity itself is shedding skins, is shedding skin, seeing a new, seeing a new and often seeing what they've created and often seeing what they have created for effect, to poor effect, ill effect, ill effect, and the opportunity now, and the opportunity now to lift these things is to lift these things, what we call the upper room, to what we call the upper world, that they may be renowned, re-seen, re-seen, re-articulated, re-articulated in the high octave, in the high octave of Christ's mind, of Christ's mind, the divine self as who you are, the divine self, as who you are, indeed has come, indeed has come, is seeking to be seen and known, is seeking to be seen and known and reclaimed and reclaimed as who and what you truly are, as who and what you truly are, period. Wow. Well, <laughs> I thank you for that. I was kind of hesitant to ask you, but I'm glad I did now. Oh, that's fine. Well, um, time flies by pretty fast. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? You know, right now, I don't. You know, I'm in this place of big questions about my life that can't be answered in these times. And if I let that be okay, I'm, I'm okay. So I'm just happy to be here. And I'm, I'm pleased to speak with you again. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, it, it <laughs> it's the material that um, that you swim in, so to speak. I find um, um, fascinating, spot on. Um, I get a very clean um, um, feeling of integrity, of purpose, of of whatnot. So. As always, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, and I want to thank you, Paul, for being our guest tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We've been talking with Paul Selig, and the topic tonight has been Alchemy, which is book two of Beyond the Known Trilogy. What a conversation. What a what a notion of of evolving ourselves into that place of being an alchemist, evolving our consciousness. What's really powerful about the text that Paul has channeled over the years is 
it's really focused on awakening a deeper truth within each one of us. um, Awakening or re-realizing, if you will, inherent potentials that exist within each one of us. I always like the notion of Jesus Christ saying, well, you're going to do everything that I have done and more. And yet, when we think of ourselves as the personification of Jesus Christ, or in other words, we've arrived at the words that he has offered us where we are performing everything he has done and more, not too many people are willing to take an identity behind that, take the notion of that as sincerely possible, that they're sincerely moving forward in their life to fulfill that promise. You know, it's always a pleasure spending time with you. I love bringing shows like this to you. I believe the most powerful substance in our human narrative is our own human consciousness. Consciousness. The consciousness of our humanity. So go to newhumanliving.com and sign up for the newsletter and look at the material there. New Human Living is a platform that... What I think is unique about New Human Living is we don't want to offer you some kind of a magical template of how to live. We don't want to offer you a belief system or a way of being, if you will, but rather heal your relationship with the truth of what is. Heal your relationship with the truth of who you are. And the the more you can embody your truth, I think the more you can fulfill the the vision that your soul had before you're even born. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time. Thanks for listening. This has been a new human living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.